Are we ready? A one, a two, a one, two, three, and hello everyone. Welcome and welcome back to this episode of Microscope. My name is Samantha. And my name is Mike. And today we want to talk to you all about how widespread is climate change. We realize that we talk about climate change a lot, but this is the only thing we talk about. (laughs) But this is really important because we're going to talk specifically about like what what exactly is affected by climate change and where do all ecosystems react the same to climate change? We're just going to break it down. So why don't we talk first about like the ecosystems that, that are going to be affected by climate change and the differences between the effects on those? Why don't you start us off with that? When we talk about different ecosystems, I want to put that into context in that different. So j- let's just take the United States in consideration. There are okay. there are numerous ecosystems that you can consider, right? You have the Northeast, which has a lot of deciduous forest and a lot of pine trees, and it gets wait, what's deciduous? Like, like the, tree, the like uh, leafy leafy trees. Leafy trees. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I get emails and DMs from people all the time, and they it's funny, Mike, because they won't send it to the microscope Instagram. They send it privately to me, and they're like, "Hey." In next week's episode, could you please ask Mike to explain what, you know, this is, this is, this is. So <clears throat> when you say things like that, I must stop you. But anyway, no. okay. Leafy well, so trees. I figured it out. A deciduous tree is a giant flowering plant. Uh-huh. Okay. Like, that's the specifics of it. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, right, you see that over there. But then that's that's the type of ecosystem. Then down in, like, Louisiana where it's, like, you know, super hot. It's basically a swamp. Or then you have over Shackle in the mountains there. of Colorado where it's like snowy and there's mountains and things like that. So these are, you know, ecosystems. All separate ecosystems. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, okay. So And, and what, we, what we want to talk about today is that all three of those, you know, in, you know, the quotations, all three of those equals ecosystems are going to be affected by climate change within different timescales as mm-hmm. well as in different severities. Exactly. So even with that being said, climate change has influenced almost like 80% of all biological processes, yeah, yeah. which is that's a pretty big number. Um, and I think that came from Sheffer and his, his co-authors from the University of Florida. But mm-hmm. let's talk about climate change like I want to dial it back a little bit because I feel like again <clears throat> we're hearing about climate change all the time and we're hearing oh this is awful and that's awful and look at the ocean and look at the look at the jungle look at this look at this but I think it's really difficult because there is a disconnect between us hearing about all these horrible things happening as a result of climate change but then actually being able to see it with our own eyes and see it in our backyard but one thing that we do hear about a lot and I want you to bring this into the light Like, let's think about all of the species, all the animals that are going extinct. And there was one animal that has gone extinct as a direct link to climate change. And what was it? It's like a little mouse, right? Yeah, it was a tiny little Australian mammal mammal called the Bramble K. Melomis or Melomise. I'm so bad at pronouncing things. But yes, this cute tiny little rat thing. And 
the reason why we can directly link its extinction to um, to climate change is that it was only found on this very small island uh, down in Fiji. And because of the increase in water levels, the entire island's underwater. And this mammal literally has nowhere else to live. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Right, so, I'm over here talking about it like, ah, la, la, la. But it's really sad. No, that's really, that's, that's really sad. And I understand, like, Mother Nature, I understand processes. And there's no such thing as balance. I'm not allowed to say uh, balance anymore. <laughs> I know that. But that does, it, it makes me really sad. And so, you know, something that we touched on a little bit when we were talking about coral a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. you know, we were saying, okay, so <laughs> basically, like, Coral is just, it's a symbiotic relationship. And when it loses like one half of that relationship, the other it half dies. of it is like, yeah. well, thanks. <laughs> so, so coral was actually, um, it's been documented to sort of move. These organisms are moving to different regions. And that's what's happening um, as well with other ecosystems. I know that scientists are using various metrics to really understand how quickly the effects of climate change can be seen within an ecosystem. But I want you to talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, what are they predicting with those metrics? What are they predicting with those metrics? So essentially, as the temperature increases and the water levels rise, ecosystems are getting lost to this. So areas that were normally, let's just, you know, use examples here so oh i don't know land <laughs> well land right so let's let's take like an area of land you know had, had an average temperature of about 70 degrees but now with climate change it's an average temperature of 80 degrees so species or you know animals that cannot survive in 80 degree weather are now shifting their ecosystems into 70 degree um Areas that have the 70 degree temperature. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like what we're seeing with the coral. The coral is like, look, like, first of all, I can't even make my own food here. It's like, it's way too hot. I'm leaving. So now the animals are sort of having to do the same thing and plants as well. But let's just use animals in this instance. Like mm-hmm. if these, you know, let's say like elephants or something, if these elephants can't be in 80, 85, 90 degree they're weather moved. all the time, they're like, you know what? I think I'm going to go. <laughs> And they're they're going on skiing trips for a long time to where it's colder. I can't blame them. I cannot blame them. So I think what's interesting about this and like we I feel really bad because I tr- you and I both tried to talk about modeling in the last episode. But um, like I think yeah, we, both, yeah. we both got a little tripped up because it, we just did. But it's really interesting <laughs> because science can use these these predictions to understand like which species are most at risk of extinction due to greater barriers involved in like their migration and it can help with conservation efforts um i think a lot of times we hear about like zoos and oh the zoos are evil the zoos are awful but unfortunately now like you know am i all for zoos no but do i appreciate the research that really well-run zoos and well-funded zoos can conduct yeah I absolutely do. Well, it's um, all, zoos are essentially a way to control the conservation. Yeah. 
And I think it, you know, I don't want to say within our lifetime, but definitely within our grandchildren's time, like there will be species that are no longer found in their natural habitats and are only found in zoos because basically they don't, they've lost that environment and they can only survive within man-made environments essentially. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, I don't know. I, I've always like zoos and aquariums for me have always kind of been like, mm, like I, I love the opportunity to see things up close. And it's not always just about the animals. There's a lot of really interesting plant life that they incorporate into some of the, um, <clears throat> you know, the little terrariums and, and the habitats. But I don't know. It's now and they're it's just as important. Oh, very. The plants. Very, yeah. Very. So let's talk about let's go away from animals and let's talk a little bit about like um, you know, like mountains, for example. I know that you had a really interesting statistic. <laughs> let's make about... a, let's make a very a drastic <laughs> change. <laughs> well, I want to talk about landscapes, you know, because mm. they look. I'm just we can't focus on animals all the time, okay? <laughs> we just spent nine minutes talking about how brokenhearted we are over a mouse in Australia. So talk to us about all these different like landscapes and you know how much of the plant like biodiversity they actually hold and how important it is and but what it means uh, you know when you factor in climate change. Exactly. So let's talk about mountains for instance. They currently hold up to a quarter of all plant biodiversity. And a lot of wait, this wait, wait. what is plant biodiversity? So biodiversity is in terms of how many species we can find. So okay, so how many I different think, types of plants? Yeah, so getting back to the deciduous, like right, like there's a ton of different deciduous trees, right? You have maple, you have birch, you have oak, you have all these ones, and you could find a lot of different, uh, or a lot of these within a small area of very land. small area. Got it. Yeah, okay. and that's what we're talking about with mountains. So there's a uh, a quarter of all the plant biodiversity is found within mountain ecosystems, and that's crazy. Say that again. I said that's crazy. That's a yeah, crazy. Of the plant biodiversity is like up in the mountains. Up All in right, the mountains. Cool. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with the very complex topography that is associated with mountainous regions. And what so I mean by, by that, yes. Yes. Yeah, so topography is essentially an increase in altitude. So mm-hmm. you know, a hundred feet. You know, you're a thousand uh, feet above water level. Then, you know, another 200 feet, you're 2,000 meters above water level. So you just add on, you add on a zero. Well, Got yes. I never a, knew that. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. That was, <laughs> no, that was just an example. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like, wow. Just a really, I was honestly, Mike, I got really excited for a second because I can't do math. I literally can't count. Like when I was in college, I tried to get out of my math classes and I went to my, um, my advisor. I'm like, uh, I think I have a learning disability for (laughs) mathematics. And she's like, shut up. So I got really excited for a second there because I thought, oh my gosh, the first Math problem I can actually solve, but okay, that was only an example. Yeah, no, that Nobody, was an example. Please put down your pens. That was only an example. Yeah. So that right, was just but an they do. What we're trying to say though is that mountains do offer a very diverse uh, climate landscape, 
And that's a really good thing because that means that as the temperature increases, the distance to reach a cooler environment is much shorter for the species to travel. So for all the elephants that want to go skiing, it's actually they don't not going to be. They don't have far to go. Exactly. Yeah. Within yeah. these mountainous regions. Exactly. <laughs> and I would just like to note everyone that like... <laughs> Mike is so good about sending me these articles. And last week, before we recorded, I took it upon myself to write out an outline because we've really got to keep, you know, Mike on track. And I made it all different colors. Uh, we got to keep so the Mike, facts straight. Well, yes, that too. But we've also got to keep you straight because you have a tendency to be like, and the mountains are really, oh, wow, look out the window. I'm like, okay, <laughs> there he goes. I but my I would like my to say that I let Mike write the outline this week. He's like, no, no, I got it. And in the notes of the outline, he <laughs> wrote for me to say, oh, wow, Mike, you're so smart and beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I got you to say it. I got you to say it. <laughs> okay, so aside from the fact that you are very smart and you are actually, you are very beautiful. I wish you had more of a presence on social media so people could see how beautiful you are, but but what I don't have saying. time. That's the problem. I would love to I be know. famous on Instagram, but like, that's a lot of fucking effort. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It is a, a lot, lot of, of work. Trust yeah, me. I, we have like a six person marketing team. It's silly. But okay. But what you are saying is that um, the effects of climate change will take longer to manifest within these environments where the air temperature decreases quickly due to the increase in altitude. But... Yes, in yes. In flatter areas that do not have these drastic changes in altitude, um, they're home to the species that will be affected more quickly by the warming planet, kind of like the mouse. Exactly, that exactly. That <laughs> totally poor sucks. mouse. <laughs> I know, it's poor thing. I actually, I had a pet mouse. I, she was a feeder mouse, and I named her Mrs. Mulberry. And she was the cutest thing, and she'd sit with me, and she was great. And then one day I came home, and she had passed away, so I put her in a Pop-Tart box and drove over to my parents' house. They were having this, like, formal dinner party, and I walked in crying. And they're like, Sam, what's wrong? <laughs> and so right there in the middle of the formal dining room, I'm like, I came home from birth. Mrs. Barry is dead. And my dad was so <laughs> sweet. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. They both gave me a big hug. And my dad goes, look, is she, where is she? I said, she's in this Pop-Tart box that I'd put inside of like a Talbot's bag. I mean, I'm 100 years old. Anyways, he's like, let's pull <laughs> Wait, Mrs. Talbot's Mulberry. still around? Excuse me. Yes, it <laughs> is. I was just browsing their website today. Oh, but my God. That you. is like an old people's. Oh, God. No, I'm that's a, it's, it's for young at heart people. Thank there you. we go. Well, anyways, we put Mrs. Mulberry in the freezer and then we buried her the next day. But maybe that's why I'm more emotionally attached. But anyways, okay, so let's stay on topic. Let's get I back. Know, okay, there's a lot more than just what we're talking about now that we do have to take into consideration. And I know that there was a study done by um, Sandel. Is that how you pronounce his name? Sandel, yes. Sandel, thank you. I'm like, Sandel? No, no. <laughs> And, well, they're, um, they're and some co-authors. And this is from Denmark. Uh, they're from Denmark. Yes, yes. Yes. And what did that show? You talk about this. So that highlight this. That so right. Getting back to, um, 
the idea is that we want to understand how quickly climate change will affect different areas, right? It'll affect mm -hmm. mountain regions differently than it'll affect um, flatter and regions closer to the uh, closer to sea level. So we want to understand what efforts can we put in to conserve these species. And okay. what this group from Denmark looked at is that depending on how unique a habitat is, so it, so how unique a habitat is for amphibians, mammals, and birds are going mm -hmm. to affect how readily these specific species will be able to be, will, how, will be how, readily how conserved by our efforts. Exactly, so, exactly. Okay. And I think it was a little bit, so while I was talking about it, I thought about like, what do people like, habitat uniqueness, what does that even mean, right? Mm -hmm. So habitat uniqueness, uniqueness means how specific of an area is it so in terms of that small island in fiji that was a very unique place where only mm. that ones you know where that mouse species lived but some place like um mountainous regions right we'll get back to the mountainous mm -hmm. regions. there's multiple different mountain ranges here Got in it. the S. So mountain ranges are not as unique. So amphibians, mammals, and birds that live within one mountain regions always have more than one place to go to. While these yeah. poor Fijian mouses do not, <sighs> their habitat mm. is very unique. Got it. So basically what you're trying to tell me is that like, like organisms that are within like a wide ranging habitat are going to be more resistant to climate change, but those that have a, a narrower range are more endangered. So basically like exactly, animals exactly. and plants that can really only exist in one area are at a greater risk for going extinct because they, exactly. they can't adapt. So and that's where we can... should focus our F our conservation efforts on. Okay. Got yeah. it. Well, you did do something very cute. You sent me a bunch of pictures of all these adorable animals, like the world's smallest chameleon. <clears throat> and that was so in Madagascar. Cute. Oh my God, it's so small. It like tip of my finger, small. And then um, the, the poison dart frog that's on the Osa Peninsula in Costa Rica. Have you ever been to Costa Rica? I have, I spent a whole month oh my there. God. Love Did you that place. Love that place. Oh, my God. The most beautiful place in the world. First of all, like, let's just say the literacy rate in Costa Rica is what? What is, isn't it like 98%? So everyone they, there speaks. They don't have languages. an army. They don't have an army. All their money <clears throat> goes to, like, education, education. and, like, making oh. things better for the people. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, well, fun. what I loved about Costa Rica, not only was the people, but how, you know, conscious they were of, um, you know, protecting the environment. And then wasn't it in like 2017 or 2018 that Costa Rica ran 100% for 300 days on renewable energy? Yeah, I, I was so it, proud. I was like, good, because that's a fucking amazing country. And I'm glad they did that. You know, what was interesting was when I was in Costa Rica, I remember um, I was living in a house with, I think, eight other people. And the family that we were living with was like, okay, like, we turn on the water for showers, or not the water, sorry. We turn on the heater to heat the water for showers, but we only do it from eight to nine. So like all nine of you need to shower 
between that time. And you know what? It wasn't the end of the world. We did it. And yeah. it was great. You know, you know what was what, also weird? Thing was, did you put um, toilet paper in the garbage Yes, can? that was exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Yep, because they can go composted. It's very simple. It's just, it's an incredible country. But when I was there, I didn't see, um, I don't think I saw a poisonous dart frog. I'll see if I can find a picture of it. But I did see one of those beautiful, beautiful. frogs beautiful. that has the, the red body um, and the, the blue legs. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe. Okay. Well, they're they're beautiful. So I saw let me look up blue legged frog. Blue, blue legged frog. I also saw. I've got. Oh man, I've got to find the pictures. I'll post oh, them those all are over. Po- those are poison dart dar- poison dart frogs. Wait. So I have seen a poison dart frog. That's you insane. have. Oh my god! Don't go near it. No, I didn't. It was sitting okay. on a leaf, and uh, the tour guide was like, "No, no, 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 no," and I was like, "Yep, you got it." I also saw a little mini um, python. It was baby, like baby, baby python. Um, But I love snakes. I think I'm the only person that likes snakes and spiders. Like, I really love them. I don't like spiders. Honestly, all spiders can fucking die in climate change. Oh, no, no, don't say that. That's not nice. That's not nice. But then we also, so we we can't forget about the pink iguana. It's in the Galapagos, uh, which is beautiful. Galapagos Islands are just like a beautiful place in and of themselves. You know what? Let's just like throw caution to the wind and let's just move there. We'll live in a hut. You and me, we'll bring all of our house plants. You know, It'll you be can, great. Like, do lots of things to move there. <laughs> Not like somewhere you can be like, I want to move there. You need like, oh, you need, what are they called? I don't know. Like, uh, like you need hut? like, Oh no! You need like a legalization to even visit the place. Oh, I don't like a mean permit, a permit. There we go. Okay, I'm I'm not set. Anyways, there's the thorny devil lizard, um, and also the the kangaroos in Australia. Yeah. Like oh raise your hand if you like kangaroos. Somebody's driving in their car right now, raising their raising hand. their. <laughs> <laughs> There is someone in a lab over we in the UK who just you. raised their we gloved hand. <laughs> but we then also you. the the swaro cactus that's gl- in the, the what? It's well, actually, I don't know how it's pronounced. <laughs> I call it swaro. Oh, that's probably that's, the correct pronunciation. I lived in Arizona for like four months, and it, I was told it was called a swaro cactus. So yeah, I can't speak anything. <laughs> But it's in Arizona, and it's also in the Whipple Mountains in California. So those are all the things that are, um, you know, th- that are at risk. Um, but there's also, like, uh, you know, and I don't even like to say this out loud, but, like, aren't hummingbirds at risk as well? Hummingbirds I... are at risk. And I actually have a no. really study. A really okay. cool study. So what makes them most at risk? So kind of getting back to that we're talking about like a symbiotic relationship. So we know hummingbirds are the like really tiny birds that flap their wings, flap their wings really fast and eat the nectar of flowers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a study that was actually done by this group. Um, oh my God, I need to pronounce this name. You or, can do it. Dalsgard. Dalsgard yeah. from Spain. Bo, Bo Dalsgard. Ah, oh, that name Bo. I could totally name one of my kids Bo. Okay, off topic. 
So Dalsgaard from Spain, they looked at sort of this symbiotic relationship between hummingbirds and the nectar flowers that they eat from. And they saw that the flowers are actually more resistant to climate change and will actually more readily transition to new environments than the hummingbirds, which is kind of quite sad because as climate change progresses, you'll see sort of like the habitat or the food for hummingbirds, you know, continue to perpetuate, but you won't see the um, hummingbirds move move with them. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the one of the caveats to that is, is that it also depends on how quickly hummingbirds can adapt. Okay. So, right. The, when they studied this, they um, it was they only looked at uh, thirty one different locations throughout Spain. So that's not representative of all hummingbirds, but, you know, it's an interesting take on, we may see habitats transfer, but we may Mm -hmm. not see species transfer with them as well. Got it. Got it. So they're not mutually exclusive, which is another really important thing to remember. So, all right. Like for every single episode we like to offer, all right. So we understand that all these changes are occurring. What are scientists doing? What are scientists doing? What are you doing, Mike? What are you and your friends doing? doing? (laughs) I'm trying to get through all the seasons of Game of Thrones before April. I can't. can't. But in addition. (laughs) In addition. In addition. So there was actually this group at the International Institute for Environmental Studies in Japan. Uh, Japan, Mm -hmm. that essentially showed that within the next 80 years, we will see the biggest shift in marine biodiversity. Mm -hmm. And they're going to see this shift away from, so essentially most of the biodiversity within marine ecosystems are found around the equator, where it's Mm -hmm. very But as the equator becomes uninhabitable because it gets too warm, these marine species are going to shift away from the equator. Yeah. Okay. So just like the coral is like, I'm it leaving like, everything else. It's exactly. like, I'm out of here. Yeah. And so because of this, right, as they as they increase within more northern and southern regions, we're actually going to see a homogenization um, or maybe not a homogenization is probably too complex of a word, but so, sort of a blending of oh. species. So you'll see species from northern environments and southern environments mixing. And so that's what they measured, right? That's what they measured. But what are scientists doing? So when we understand where the migration or where species will migrate, we can put, we can provide this information to Mm -hmm. conservationists who can then enact um, useful laws or things that will better conserve resources, research, physical places. Got it. I think one of the big themes that we continue to talk about is science is just like, we're trying to find out what's going to happen in the next 80 years so that the people in power and the money that we spend can be put in the proper piggy banks. Right. And so that we can be prepared. I mean, it's like, 
Yeah. Everyone's always like, all right, science. Well, what do you say? What do you say? Uh-huh. And it's like, well, look, you know, you guys are working to figure things out. You're using these predictive models, which we touched on a little bit in this episode. But we also talked about them in the last episode to to look at that data and say, all right, well, let's apply some statistics to it and say that if we see the same pattern again in precipitation, in temperature, you know, whatever the heck it may be. Then we know that, fires will occur. Exactly. exactly. Then this area is going to be in danger. So let's get all the squirrels, the chipmunks, the deer out of there. Let's go uproot some plants and put them somewhere else where we can keep them safe. I mean, it's just, it's essentially going to be a lot of teamwork, a lot of communication and a massive logistical effort on part of all of humanity to be sure that we're protecting and preserving uh, the species that we have now uh, of both plants and animals. That's what it's going to come down to. So Let's talk about what people can do at home. We're always like, okay, well, you know, maybe one singular person won't have a huge difference. But actually, what I really like is this week, one singular person can have a big difference. When you go hiking, it kind of touches upon when we were talking about camping last week. You know, mountains are the last stronghold against climate change. Um for plant biodiversity. So when you go well, on hikes. plant and animal biodiversity. Yes. Yeah. So when you go on hikes, clean up after yourselves. Don't litter. Don't start fires and then not no trace them, which I touched upon in the last. I think that made it into the last episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Where you, you no I have trace. notes. I have notes. Yeah. So no tracing basically. I no like trace when you make weekend. a <laughs> when you can't, when you make a campfire, what you do is when you're done, when you're leaving your campsite, you want to go and get a couple canteens of water and you want to stomp out all the coals, spread them all out and just take a really big thick stick and almost just like grind them into the ground, pour water on them, keep grinding, keep dragging the stick through them. It's almost like you're making like a stew, but there's no stew. And what that does is not only does it sort of naturalize and put your campsite kind of back in the condition that it was before go away you know what (laughs) you make up words all the time naturalize i think actually is a word i'm gonna google it in a minute here but (laughs) what it does is it makes it easier for um the ground naturalize it's a word it is not a word what is it yes it is it means It's a verb. It's a. Oh, it is a verb, okay. and it actually has to do with biology, you asshole. And it says what? establish a plant or animal so that it lives wild in a region where it is not indigenous. The oh, mo you that know. That is perfect. That is perfect for this for this episode. Mm-hmm. Sit down. Anyways, so what it does is it <laughs> oh, yeah. it makes it easier for the the surrounding you know ground and the surrounding area to sort of break down all those coals and you know use the nutrition put it back into the soil so that the plants can grow and everyone can be fine so when you go hiking pick up after yourself also really really important there's an island up in maine called monfegan island and right when you get off the ferry one of the first things you see is a friendly beautiful sign that says welcome to monfegan island please do not pick any of the vegetation that is yes, on this island because up in Maine, people like to do this thing where they make fairy houses. I don't know if they do this in other parts of the world, um, but in Maine, it's like a big thing. Like you go out, you find sticks and moss and, you know, 
like not Leica. Well, no, you can take if you find some Leica that's on the ground, by all means, it's yours. Um, uh-huh, and they that make shit's, these, yeah, they make these little, um, they make these little fairy houses, and they're darling, absolutely darling. But unfortunately, what was happening was a lot of people were coming to Monhegan Island for the day, and they were picking moss, like fresh, beautiful moss, right off the side of a tree, or they were ripping ferns right out of the ground, or they were, you know, breaking uh, pine boughs right off of the, the branch. And I get it. Like, I get it. It's a fun thing to do, and it's a cute thing to think about. Like, oh, the fairies, the fairies. But like when you're doing things like that, use things that are already on the ground. Use pine cones that have already fallen. Use sticks that have already fallen. Like, you know, it, don't pick mushrooms. But like if you see a base of a tree with like mushrooms, like be careful as you build around it. Like there's just there's little things that you can do to remember that like everything is uh, delicate. Um, and it does need your respect and it does need your attention. And at this point, we really can't afford to go around ripping things out of the ground and off of the sides of trees and rocks <laughs> yeah. because you want to make a goddamn fairy house. That's just not the way it's going to work anymore. Um, sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, sorry, but it's just not. So, you know, be mindful when you're, when you're out in nature. Realize that you're in someone, something else's home, someone, something else's environment, and be respectful of that. Um, but, I, you know what, Mike? I think we're getting better at this. <laughs> I, I think we're too. I think we're getting better at this. And you know, the feedback has been really great. We really appreciate all the people that write in. And there's um I know that we don't have a huge presence on Instagram. I know that like Dixon Politics, which is what Microscope was born from. I know that that's really sort of like the flagship show and it's sexy and it's racy, but we love the people that follow us on Microscope. And we've caught the eye of some really great nature photographers that I'm trying to have conversations with to see if they'd be interested to come on the show and talk about their travels. I know it's really like, I love this whole community because everyone is really interested in learning and sharing information and being enthusiastic. And I think we have something really special in our audience. So once again, we want to thank you all so much for joining us. And if there is a topic that you would like us to discuss that you'd like to learn more about, please let us know. We'd be tickled. And we will, we're more than happy to do the research and put it on the show. Yeah. And, and we'll do it. So, Mike, is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners? You're usually pretty quiet when it comes to gratitude, but I think, I think now might be the time to say thanks. Oh, should I say something? Or so should I say something? <laughs> well, thanks. Why don't we talk about this? What does this mean to you, Mike? I mean, as someone who's like never been on stage, never did a podcast, like you just hang out with like your brilliant friends and like, that's it. Like, what is it like for you to have this opportunity and this experience? I think it's so much fun. Like it, the best way I could describe it is that I have so much fun doing this. I think, you know. And I had to drag you into this kicking and screaming. Oh my God, way. you did not have to drag me into it. Mm. I was just like, <laughs> I just like, well, the thing is, I really just wanted to build the topics that we talked about mm-hmm. and provide that information. But like all this extra stuff with like, Interact or not interacting, but like the marketing and the marketing and like all this stuff. I know I don't have time for that, and that's where I was very apprehensive of just like I want to do this, but I know I don't have the time. Mike doesn't even know how to turn his phone on, so 
asking I him never to go turn on it Instagram. <laughs> it's always charged. It has to be charged. It can't turn off. <laughs> well, I'm, you know what I'm most excited for is I think that what you're studying in particular is really fascinating. And I can absolutely see you five years from now, you're up, you're in front of an incredible crowd of people, and you're talking about your study and what you and your colleagues found to be true and, you know, what are the steps going forward and, you know, all this other stuff. I can't wait for you to be like, and while I was working on my PhD, I also started a podcast and it gave me the opportunity to talk about science in a way that wasn't so intimidating and boring, but rather that could, you know, engage <laughs> pretty much anyone of any age. And like, I just, I can't wait for that for you because I think this is really good practice, you know, and I know that for the rest of your life, you're going to be surrounded by academia. And I know that you're going to have so much in common with the company that you keep. I know that, but I also know that you're really passionate about what you do and that it's going to present opportunities for you to speak with people outside of the scientific community. And for me, I'm tickled to kind of give you a little bit of a space and a platform to play around with the verbiage a little bit. So I that think when... it's gotten better. Yeah, I do I too. From, and that, from Definitely from episode one might oh, be yeah. the amount of alcohol that was in my system. But, but... still, even with, <laughs> even with our first episode, yeah. um, I think that we struggled with it a little bit because there was so much that we wanted to say because there – we're both so passionate about this, but finding a way to say it that isn't confusing, like, you know, mm -hmm. that can be difficult. So I'm thrilled that, that we can do this together. And I really hope that it proves to be a valuable experience for you. And also, you know, importantly, I hope that our listeners really enjoy this as well. As we say all the time, yeah. there's all this information out there and we've yeah. got to just like cut to it and, and get it right. And that's it. And I think I think what we I really want to end this with is that we have fun doing this, and yes. we just want other people to get something out of this. Absolutely. Whether it's one person or five hundred thousand people, <laughs> we no, this is I'm, this is fun. This is fun, and if it helps somebody, good. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's not just for this podcast, but for all the shows that we have under WISP. We have Dixon Politics. We have uh, When I Knew. And we're now releasing It's Bro Time. And we're releasing Game Over. It's Bro Time is all about sports. And Game Over is all about video games, you know, augmented reality, esports, and all this other stuff. Like, we just want to be a source where people can go and get little tidbits of information and learn and get excited about something and find a way to kind of take our words. And, and I never thought I'd say this, but please take my words, twist them and then make them your own. Well, we want don't everyone. Well, so no, don't. <laughs> Maybe not on this show. It has to be factual, but you know what I mean? I, I want people to be able to take what we're saying and sort of memorize it and regurgitate it so that they can start their own conversations. That is why we do everything that we do, we want to get you guys thinking, we want to get you guys talking, you know, not only doing your own research, but also talking to each other. The art of conversation is basically dead and we want to bring it back to life. So thank you again so much, everyone for joining us. We're having so much fun doing this. We love it. We appreciate you tuning in every other week. We come out every other Monday. So once again, my name is Samantha. 
and my name is Mike, and we'll see you all next week when we talk about climate change trends on Twitter. <gasps> oh, I'm so excited about that. I am so excited about that. Well, it's not next so week. It comes after the. It comes out the week after. Oh Mike right, yeah. So in about a month, you'll hear that, or in two it's, weeks, you'll hear that. About a month. Oh, I don't, oh my god, oh. I give up. I give up, you guys. We will be back not this following Monday, but the Monday after that. Do the math. We will see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in.